welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome you back to another episode of Cannon Fodder. My name's Joe O'Brien. And I am Chancellor of the Exchequer, Troy LaValle. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, do you know who the current <laughs> Chancellor of the Exchequer is? No, no, I do not. It's Philip Hammond. Philip, oh, Philip Hammond. I'm coming for you, Phil. <laughs> I'm coming for you. It's my title. <laughs> it was knocked your mic over. Calm, I did. I calm excited. down. Troy, welcome back to another episode of Cannon Fodder. We started this one off like a, like an actual like an actual show, right? Where I had you in a little green room with some wine and cheese and it was apples. Very delightful. He cut up some apples. Um, what kind of apples that? that, that it was a gala apple. Oh, well, this gala is, this is a, a festive atmosphere. <laughs> wow. Yes, well, we're trying to to stick to our uh, our New Year's diets yes. still as, as long as we can. But yes. good thing I ate thirty two triskets just. <laughs> They were low salt. Oh, good. Uh, I was wondering. <laughs> Got to keep my salt levels low. <laughs> oh, man. Buddy, it is good to see you again to be discussing episode 86. 86. Of the Glass Cannon Podcast. And we didn't get 86 in this episode. Nope. No. Sadly. We stood up to gristle crack. Gristle crack. I did not expect to get to this point. I didn't even show you guys like, a picture of uh, her because I had the pawn, but that's old gristle crack right there. Oh, my God. A real beauty. <laughs> a real beauty. <laughs> True beauty. <laughs> I just felt like it would be longer before we came into contact with her. But to to really think about it in terms of, I mean, after we got done that interrogation and all the ways that we could have gone and all the forks and the paths that we could have taken, to go, like, literally walk right to her, it sometimes it makes you wonder if you're, like, not picking up on some subconscious thing that's pointing you in the exact direction you need to go. Like, if you were subtly doing something, but I can't figure it out. I mean, you were telling us where the rivers were running and they were going in the other ways. I thought you were trying to push us south and we were, we were like, no, we're going to go north and... We went right to the person we were supposed to go to. I I thought supposed to is a strong uh, assumption. Is a strong assumption, but uh, I don't know. I might have been trying to push you one way or another, o- only because this is the last direction I thought you guys would go. I thought you would either go southwest or southeast, but it's really it, it doesn't matter. This 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 valley is enormous, and you had three choices ahead of you, and I was prepared for all the choices. But I thought sometimes I try to get into you guys' minds of what I think you're going to do, and I thought you would probably follow the stream or as creative as you would get would be like well let's not follow the stream let's go south but where that tributary is but no you went north and then once you started doing survival checks and saw footprints i was like okay that's the way they're that's the way they're going there is no, i'll tell you right now there is no right way yeah no i, I believe that i believe that these are i've run my fair share of adventure paths or i should say i've read my fair share of adventure path books and i know the way they lay these things out and sometimes the sandboxes are really brilliantly designed they say like they write right in there you don't know where your players are going to go so they could do this they could do that be prepared for this be prepared for that and i it's just becoming mind-blowing to me how big it is like i didn't i didn't realize you said something on cannon fodder that a kind of I glanced over it. I didn't hear it until the re-listen, but you mentioned that it was, that the map was like eight miles an inch or something. Yeah. Eight miles to an inch. So we get the sense of it now. We're walking through this valley and you're like, 
And six miles later, I'm like, what? Yeah. That's, that is crazy. And all within the confines of this valley, you can see these cliffs and hills far away in the distance as we go. And there were some points where I was like, you know, how, how thin is it? You know, you're like, oh, it's, it, it narrows a great deal here. And I'm like, well, well, how wide is it? You're like, oh, you're like 140 feet. <laughs> you know what I mean? But compared to the rest of the valley, sure. that is small, relatively speaking, extremely tight. You look up and you can see glaciers melting and the, the rivulets from those, from the, the runoff, melting, yeah. like running down and forming tributaries that lead right into the river. I mean, it's, it's, it's so cool. No wonder Skid is, no wonder Skid is so homesick for Colorado. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I have to apologize to him because I meant to shout him out last week when we had had, I believe it was Daniel we from had Boulder. Uh, from Boulder, Colorado. I was like, oh, you guys are getting to live in that area that Skid is missing so much with the beautiful aspen trees and all this stuff that we had. Uh, yeah, the, the stuff that we're seeing now in Minderhall's Valley. And it does kind of sound like it's based on that, you know, that idea of the glacial melts with the 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 runoff running down into these tributaries and stuff like that. It's It's a gorgeous scene to imagine and really cool to adventure in but i never had any idea of how big it would be how many different paths we could take spoiler alert you still don't (laughs) (laughs) yeah it really is very very much so we passed a couple different ways that even after that first that first choice that we could go we have to remember to go back backtrack and go this way go that way you you better hope a fan is drawing this stuff out because i know you guys aren't (laughs) yeah we were we were i'm doing sirenscape all right i can't i can't cartographize as well what is the verb for map making uh just map making let's go with cartographize cartographize that's definitely not it but (laughs) But i like it (laughs) rolls off the tongue it just really does spell it quick (laughs) all right so we you start the episode trying to get more information out of this vet. Right. And he's not telling you anything. Right. He's not going to tell us much. He, you know, he's... he just tells you that like your, your hopes, your sort of bravado is fruitless against what is really happening. And, and did you feel at any point that like, okay, maybe this guy's, maybe this guy's just full of shit and just full of empty threats or do we really not know what we're up against? Yeah, I don't think that that's a surprise, though. I mean, I think that that is accurate, but I don't think it's a surprise. I always wonder at this point in Adventure Pass, and it's actually right around, right around this time, right in that seventh level to ninth level area where my experience has always been, you're trying to take on something that you don't understand. You can't just like fight toe to toe. It doesn't really work that way. These things are well beyond your means. So how are you going to be able to do it? How are you ever going to be powerful enough to do it? I mean, the idea of a 20th level paladin is really insanely powerful. And you can see how that can be almost like a godlike force. But it's a long way to there. And I've never gotten there with a character. So yeah. how how is it that you survive to get that far. And, you know, I just don't know what you can do, but keep your head down and keep moving forward. These people are going to tell you that the enemy you're facing, you could never defeat. And to a certain extent, I believe that they believe that, but you have to just keep going and find some way. But I really don't. I mean, when it comes to the idea of now that we know that the storm tyrant is still the storm tyrant and that he is worshiped by Gristlecrack. There is no confusion there. That was a rumor that we finally were able to unhinge and squash. It's, it, I cannot imagine Will 
charging the storm tyrant and hitting him for 34 points of damage. You know, like, <laughs> that doesn't really occur to me as, like, something that will happen. I, I just don't know what to expect. I, yeah. But for right now, it eyes on the prize. And I think that's, that's what has to happen a lot in these, in these APs. Stay, have your character focused on what is in front of them, not the thing that is too big for them to defeat. And right now, Will's focus is, you know, beyond the grand quest, the great journey of goodness, it is these people. These people of Shinnerman's fortune that he's trying to track down. The way that it went before was we found a group. We found two of them by the Cyclops. They said there's another group up ahead. We found them with the ogres in Ogre My Dead Body, handled those, <laughs> and were able to release those people. And they said, oh, yeah, the other ones were hooded and you know, over there. They were ahead of us. And just the way that that flowed, it was like that episode, boom, next episode, I thought that we would see these people in, in, in the next episode after that. Well, now it's been about four episodes and now we start to get some answers and it's messed up and sad. And like these people, now a dragon took them away. Like it's really getting out of control, Troy. Yeah. It's really getting out of hand. You know, it goes, uh, it goes all the way back to Red Lake Fort when you guys were hunting down Grenzel Deck and you found this note about a storm tyrant and all this stuff. It's like, okay, let's keep this in mind, but let's focus on Grenzel Deck. And it's the same thing. It's like, okay, well, now we know this, what, dragon, pet dragon, the vet even said it's pet dragon, massive fortress to the south or whatever. It, uh, all right, let's just focus on figuring out what the hell is going on in this valley. Let's keep this stuff in mind, right. but let's focus on one thing at a time. Right. It's those kind of times when the side quests are really the main quests. Because the yeah. main quest is not something that you can really concern yourself with at the moment. Sure, we're concerned in the sense of, like, we don't want Volstice to take over the world. Yeah, we got that. Right. We're concerned about that. And you can call that the main quest. But you must deal with what you can handle right now. And if you can save some people in Will's eyes, let's try to save some innocent people. But that right. is leading us down the right path. And we're un locking some more information here that is really interesting. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, remember at the time that we heard the name Gristlecrack, Grant had put forward this idea of it being a very tribal situation where there's other people that fancy themselves a storm tyrant and they're all vying for this title. I thought that that was a really interesting insight and could be the, the case. But nope, it turns out Gristlecrack is like not even anywhere near the level of this Volstice storm tyrant. You know, she worships him, to use her language. So I was like, oh man, that is a that is not a word you use lightly. That is not like, I will follow him into death. I is my leader. He's, I worship him. That's almost like a, like he's a god of some kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Don't forget about the Etten coming back, arguing about not doing well, and the Veds fighting each other because they weren't good enough. For like, You start to piece all this stuff together. If you really start to re- like, re-listen to these episodes, it's very important for you as well no, as the rest of I understand. trying to figure out what the hell is going on. In I understand. I mean, the one thing that's piecing everything together, every giant we've fought so far since Grenseldeck, pretty much, that is involved in any way, really, with Minderhall's Valley, everyone has been rejected for some reason, or has not made the gr- the cut. And these are the people that are like taking, uh, close to taking us out. You know, so it's... Right, right. So, so what, are we, what are the ones that have passed the test like? Right. And, and the, well, here's the question, though. If you're building an army, right, um, 
Let me cite a, a great series of books because this is the kind of stuff we love to do on Cannon Fodder. Have you ever read any of the Richard Sharp novels? No. no, no. Have I discussed that with you? You probably have, but I usually don't pay attention when you talk. Well, since we brought up the Chancellor of the Exchequer and uh, we have this British-themed episode here, <laughs> um, the uh, the Richard Sharp series by Bernard Corn- Cornwell is a series that follows the story of a historical fictional s- story of a private in the the Queen's Army. Uh, at the around 1799, I think it starts the first book chronologically, not the first one that actually came out, but because he wrote prequels. The first book chronologically is in India when British, when the British and the French are fighting over India. And the one thing that you realize from a book like that is when it came to like the vanguard at that time, like, yeah, they had muskets and stuff like that, but it was also very brutal, gritty battle where you would charge the fortress. You would shoot cannons at the wall until there was a breach and then literally you know, once more onto the breach, my friends, like run in at, at cannon fire and musket fire uh, until, you know, your first lines were decimated. If you're truly building an army, why would you not take anyone in order to have that sort of that meat shield to throw at fortifications, you know, to throw into the vanguard at things? So it's very concerning to me that we haven't... uh that this is not the plan, it seems, to build a massive army. It seems to be some sort of quality over quantity situation. And I'm like, I don't, I can't wrap my head around it. I don't know. Because at first we just assumed it was something we would understand. A giant army. A giant army is being assembled. Well, if an army is being assembled, pretty much in, in these times, in these terms, you're going to take whatever you can get, you know, swords to plowshares, just kind of like throw them a, a large pike and send them in. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, it does seem to be a little more complicated than that, doesn't it? <laughs> You're not going to give me anything! <laughs> <laughs> this is why you should play Adventure Path. Because <laughs> if you were like, giant army! It'd just be, you'd fight a giant army. No, no, there's a lot more going on. Yeah, I'll, I'll, clearly, clearly a lot more going on. Well, I, wanna, I don't want to blow off the whole gristle crack fight or anything it was it was a cute little fight that you had put together i mean it was, <laughs> yes. it was sweet if you guys if you guys if one person would run into that fight then i had something fun to do but of course you're not going to do that i mean it was a really complicated thing for me the trolls i knew were not going to put up uh too much of a fight the worst thing about them was the regeneration um which to just keep like Talk about a meat shield. That's what they were. They were a meat shield. But I did not know how best to play Gristlecrack because you guys have become experts at staying back and waiting. Um, I think in retrospect, I would I should have just had her charge first round, charge second round, and get up in there just to split you guys up like bowling pins. Yeah. I, I don't know. For some reason, I thought that the trolls would be enough for you guys to start breaking up and coming towards her, but only, obviously, Umlo, because you guys could just throw Umlo in there. And Umlo well, came no, up, and no, she no. knocked Umlo unconscious in one round. Sure, but that's uh, not the case. Like you're, you're underestimating the power of the weaponry. Like We're using ranged weapons. And of he course. only has a melee weapon. I so, mean, I'm asking you to do something stupid because I want to ha- have my monster hit you. <laughs> right, right. Well, understand, we're not sending Umlo in because we don't care if he dies. And I mean that. Like, personally, am I personally attached to Umlo right now? Not so much. But what I believe is that if Umlo goes down, that we have to take the hand. And, like, that Will has to take the hand. And I don't want to do it. Oh, right, right, right. You know what I mean? So, like, that is a concern to me as a character as or as a player. I don't want him to go down. And he's so low on hit points and everything. So, it's, it is it is very much so like a, 
we're not just throwing him in. He has that spear and maybe, but I did believe at the start of that combat that we should stay back, that we should stay defensive, turtle up, because I thought that Gristlecrack would be deadly in melee combat. And, you know, she was. I chose to go slams on Umlo because I didn't want to kill Umlo in the first <laughs> round. Her slams were plus 16 to attack both times, doing 1d8 plus 11 damage. When she un- whips out the Great Club, which we, she did not do, it's plus 16 plus 11 to hit for 3d8 plus 16 damage. Oh, my And I just God. knew she was going to hit Umlo twice, and I didn't want to kill him in the first round. But, however, had any of you guys started stepping up, Great Club was coming out, and it was just going to be, ba-boom, 3d8 plus 16. Ba-boom, 3d8 plus 16. You're unconscious. Next round. You're dead. Next round. And it well, just, this is why we can't do it. This yeah. is why we have to be distance characters. In I gave so, you guys too way. much time, though, because Della was able to spend around doing that, uh, what's it called? The spell that tripped her? Oh, uh, Blade Lash. Blade Lash. <laughs> It'll do Blade Lash, <laughs> and then you just come in and spear her through the head. So wait a minute, Keswick, for Hybery! Hybery! And I was just like, ah, forget the troll. I mean, at that point, I don't want you guys, like, picking off the trolls. That fight was going to just be over. Burning hands, burning hands, stab, stab. You win. And you know what? And you're eighth level. Now. And you level up! <laughs> Oh, that was an exciting way. What a much better way to end an episode than with everyone unconscious in front of a dragon that's rearing its head back. I tried. I just uh, didn't try harder. Yeah, that was, that was a good one. How exciting. But I, I do have to say, I, I did not expect Gristlecrack to go down, uh, from that charge from Will, but I was very happy. I was like, Sir Will gets a big kill. That was a good one. Sir Will, yeah. <laughs> you know, an e- easy target though. An easy target. Yeah, you, I mean, you ran past and you were like, and he goes 70 more feet. And so I measured it all out. And then in my next round, I was like, I can, I think I can get up to attack Will. And you were just far out of her reach for her to well, like she had slide to do a double move and swing with a great club. So yeah, yeah, you guys played it really well. Interesting about Gristlecrack. She had this, uh, special ability called Spirit Summoning. Once per day, Gristlecrack can perform a 10-minute ritual to tap into the power and insight of her ancestral spirits. These spirits provide a plus-four deflection bonus to AC and immunity to enchantment and illusion spells. Wow, that is cool. Yeah, she's a a mongrel hill giant of taiga giant ancestry that has this sort of like occult, uh, kind of like the uh, spiritualist, I think. Yeah, yeah. From the occult class, this bonus to the ac because of the ancestral spirits uh guarding her i just thought that was cool i mean you guys killed her so quick once she finally got into the fray that it's not like that would have come out in any story like you find a journal that lists her 10 minute ritual uh but i mean that's that's this is a perfect time on cannon fodder to kind of drop this stuff yeah i didn't i didn't realize that that is really cool yeah uh good treasure you got uh you got some scrolls got a scroll of restoration yes one yes. down five to go <laughs> <laughs> Troy, I think it's time for a little listener mail. Oh. It's time for a listener mail. Gotta get your brain up on it. Time for a listener mail. You gotta cue that fucking egg. What do you got for us today, Joby? I have got a question from Caitlin in South Carolina. What up, Caitlin? What up, Caitlin? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> I don't know. We're having too much fun. I think it was I think it was the cheese. All right. Kayla from South Carolina asks an extremely complicated and complex complex question that I'm gonna try oh to explain to you. Um 
It's a good one, though. This is a question that really opens up some serious, deep GMing questions. And you know what? It makes sense. It needs to come from somebody who's never played Pathfinder before. Oh, she's a noob. Oh, not even a noob. A, a non She's not a noob. Yeah, she has listened to the show uh, all the way through, but she just does not... Uh, she doesn't play Pathfinder. She's a non-player she, character. She's she's a non-player <laughs> character. Do they have a term for that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. And she... Wants to, she wants to ask about failing skill checks. Now we have done something like this on Cannon Fodder before, which is when we brought up our evil GM ideas thing where, you know, when do people know when they failed checks? Her question is like, basically, if a character misses in combat, I can visualize that. I can see that. She's having a little bit of a harder time though, resolving in her head, uh, how to understand when a character miss it, fails a check on like a knowledge check or a perception check or a sense motive check or these more, uh, ambiguous, I guess for lack of a better word, just, the skills where it's up to the GM really to hash out what you see or hear or sense. And if you fail those checks, there are times, Troy, on the show, and this is what I think Caitlin is asking. There are times on the show when you say, you know, you're just, uh, you're just not sure. And there are other times when you say, you're sure of this and it's the wrong answer. And then there are other times when you're like, you're sure of this and it's the right answer. Right. So what, goes to separate that in your mind as a GM, how much does the role, the the number of the role factor into that versus what you need the character to think or feel for plot reasons? Yeah, How do you decide how a character, quote unquote, feels about their check? That's tough. I mean, in, the way it's written is if you're using a skill, if you roll your your die and you add your skill bonus if it's higher than the dc you succeed if it's lower than the dc you fail and some skills depending on how badly you fail have consequences that's straight out of the uh, the rules of the game but when you deal with these more esoteric things like perception and stuff like that how do you it gets very difficult especially when you're dealing with metagaming think about the fight in red lake fort della is going for some ungodly reason we still don't know why to try and help umlo as lork is dying she rolls <laughs> she rolls a you'll never get away with that matthew <laughs> she rolls a perception check on umlo from 15 20 feet away rolls a one now of course as we know a one is not a failure in a skill check a 20 isn't an automatic success but oftentimes when you roll a 20 and you've got a plus 11 to your bonus a 31 is high enough for the dc that I don't belabor things by saying, uh, all right, what's your, yeah, uh, you made it when I know it's DC 22 and you rolled a 20. But anyways, in this case, she rolled a one and I wanted that that failure to have meaning, even though she, Della, Matthew knew most likely Umlo was still alive. Actually, she was probably 99 or 100% sure that she was still alive. Matthew, the character, Della has to now make a new decision because of that one. But it it's these mid-rolls that I don't, I don't know how you how you can make it more um, ambiguous to use the word you use. Yeah. It's, I think that in general, I would say that we approach it. You and I, I think approach it from a standpoint of if the role is high enough and it's successful, you make the character feel like they're confident or sure of their result. Right. You see, the difference here is identifying when the player feels confident versus when the character feels confident. If a player rolls a die and sees a four on the die, no matter what you tell them, they're not going to listen. They're going to be like, well, it's all bullshit anyway. Yeah. And they know that. Whereas if they roll a natural 20, they know that they have succeeded and they know that they're going to, that it's going to be right. Now, if you said to them, let's say they have a plus eight, to their knowledge 
history and it's a DC 30 knowledge history and they roll a natural 20. And then you're like, they're like, natural 20, I'm in Rawls Valley history, religion. And you're like, you're not sure. Then they know that it's very hard to, you know, to find out or to figure out. Right. Right. But up until that moment, they were extremely confident. If you told them something, they would be 100% certain that it was correct. Yeah. And then what do you do in instances where it's like, okay, roll disable device on that door or in that trap or whatever. And they're like, Oh, 31. And you're like, it's not, uh, it's not trapped or you undid the trap, but it was DC 33. But they're just so confident with that 31. I lead them directly into the trap. Like, what do I say? I say, you looks like you bypassed the trap or i say you bypassed the trap like, or or no or you say you do you failed at disabling it you know which is the conventional way that's the thing you're supposed to do oh and because it didn't fail by five or more it didn't explode. go off so a better example the, the character like, would know that they had not yet disarmed it looking for a trap it's dc 33 to find the trap you roll a 31 and i'm like it is absolutely not trapped right they right. would be very confident that it wasn't trapped. Right. And you didn't do anything wrong there, in no. my opinion. But the, what Kaylin is asking is, is that, that confidence, is that tied in with the number on the D20 because the player's confident? At what point do you draw the line where the character is confident, even though the player is not? So that's what happened with, uh, Della in Red Lake Fort. And it happened again with Della, and Caitlin brings it up in her email with identifying Iwiga incorrectly as her mother. She rolled that sense motive, and you said you are a hundred percent sure that this is your mother. Yeah, and that's a bold move. Like you could have said on the fail, like you're not sure. Why then? Why there? Do you know, or was it just a gut feeling? It just went. You went with the moment. Well, I think in, so. That one that was an opposed roll. She was rolling her versus sense bluff, motive yeah. versus Ewig's bluff, and she failed. So I chose. So she is bluffed. So she is bluffed. And so my interpretation of fail in that moment was you have certainty. You, cause you're, you are unsure if this is your mother. Unsure, unsure what the motives of this person are. You failed. So I've decided that that failure is going to come out as you know, you've been reunited with your mother. Well, didn't she have a plus 28 bluff? Yes. Like, so, so, wrong, like, yeah. Really so what if it was, just... what if it was a 32, a 33? You know, like you just said, yeah. and Della rolled a natural 20 and you said, you're sure it's your mother. You'd have the same result. You know, yeah. I, I'm saying this to back you up like yeah. that's a you, it's a bluff check on a bluff check like that. Yeah. The bluffer gets the benefit of the other person thinking whatever they thought and being confident about it. But you could I, easily say, you know, you know, she. I could have easily have done that and said, you are complete. You completely trust this person. Right. That's a different way of doing it. It's and also, it's also hard. Player. It's also hard to play in a case like, let's say, you know, we've talked about urban adventures on here before. Let's take an, a, a gritty urban adventure sort of scene where you're dealing with like a kingpin. You know right. that this person is full of shit. You know that they are a bad, bad dude, but you also know that they might be telling you the truth about this one thing because they need you to do this one thing. Yeah. And then they bluff you. I mean, even on a failed roll, you roll a five on the natural five on the die, and you know that you got bluffed. But wouldn't you think the character, to some extent, would be suspicious of absolutely anything? Like, would they ever be 100% sure that the person was being accurate? You know what I mean? Like, these are the kind of ambiguous areas you get into, the muddy waters of, as a GM, giving information for knowledge and wisdom-based checks. And you hope that you have players that are going to 
play the way they're with the information that their characters have and not what you're metagaming. And not what your D20 said. Right, right. So that's the tough tough. part. Like, Caitlin doesn't play. She doesn't really understand that. uh, Well, I'm sure she understands the concept of the metagaming, but it's not a trap she falls into ever. It's not something she's had to struggle with from while playing. It's an excellent question and one I've never really thought about. It's just the fail success. And then how I determine that is the way I give the outlook. But I never think about that sort of... The character's confidence in their role. I or in their check. I would say in general, just to make it easy, I think that generally I will on perception, knowledge, that kind of stuff, I will for mid-level roles, I will make characters feel unsure of their check, of their per own eyes, of their own ears. I'm not sure. I think I hear something, but I can't quite. Well, a low check, I'm more inclined to have them be sure of the wrong thing. Right. And tell them as such. Now, I but don't. The problem is they know if it's a low check. Oftentimes they roll a one, two, well, that's three. A, well, this is, but yeah, but now you're looping around to like, you have to have players that don't that metagame. Trust, right. So I'm just saying the way you play the game in terms of assigning confidence to characters, I, I do pretty much do it that, you know, if you roll under a five, I'm going to pretty much nail your character with being sure of something that's wrong. And that's why I think, Caitlin, it's a great question. I mean, as you can see, this it's a very philosophical question, really, that gets to the core of the game, which is separating player from character and the difficulty that that creates, and also how well the GM is able to implant the feeling of the character in to, you know, to the player, so that the player understands really what the character is feeling, really where they are, really what they're thinking. It's It's a complex scenario and hard to pull off and that's what we're always kind of striving at to to get better at that i've got a headache just talking about it i don't even (laughs) think we made any sense or answered any questions (laughs) it was a well hey man that's philosophy that's that's what we do i think we all just failed our philosophy check (laughs) all right buddy that's gonna wrap it up for me this week gotta get out of here but thank you so much caitlin for the question anybody else please write in with your questions at glass cannon podcast at gmail dot com we hope you are enjoying these episodes and enjoying the answers to your questions uh it seems like it because we're certainly getting a lot of them i'm sorry to the ones that haven't gotten on air yet but we're getting there little by little we are getting there and pretty soon we'll get uh we'll get more than one on an episode once we don't have to yammer on so much about about uh, our own episodes well there's just too much going on there's too much going if we keep having these super long episodes what else are we supposed to do i i don't know (laughs) joe i gotta it's getting dark out i need to bike home before the sun sets All right, buddy. I'll see you later. Bye. Bike safely. Wear a helmet. Wear a helmet.